Hello and welcome to Surf Splendor. This is David Scales recording this sentence for the third time. I just botched. I've been working on the computer and um, have not opened my mouth and spoken for probably six hours straight. So I just botched this intro a number of times. So this is the fourth or third track and um, glad to be back with you for an all new episode, an episode that I'm really excited about actually. It's um, with somebody whose work I've admired from afar for some time, but I haven't ever seen any interviews done. His name's Justin Jay, and I would call him a surf photographer, except for the fact that he doesn't really shoot surfing. Um, He's a surfer photographer, I guess would be the best way to put it. Shoots surfers, but rarely in the ocean. So um, real interesting. We get into that. We get into his subject matter and all that in the show. So I don't really want to say too much um, about him other than just, I guess, what what I should say to sell the show and to ensure that you continue listening is that, um, his work as a photographer mirrors what I am trying to do with this podcast, I guess, is the way that I should sum it up in that, um, it's intimate portraiture. And what I'm trying to do is share these stories of people, um, and kind of give you behind the scenes look into their life and their way of thinking that you don't get through other forms of media. I feel like that's what Justin's work does and that's why it appealed to me and why I've sought his work out actually. And um, it, it's it's photography and it's portraiture or lifestyle photography, I guess, but it's really intimate and it showcases a different side of these surfers whom we feel like we all know and um, and they've been covered and f- photographed in a lot of different angles and a lot of different lights, but Justin's work represents something unique. So that's the way to sum it up. He'll explain it all, as I said. If you're new to this show, which I know there are a lot of new listeners, um, part of that is due to a couple of recent iTunes reviews that people have posted. I am grateful for that. That helps with our ranking in iTunes um, stats and categories. So continue um, to do that. I appreciate your sincere reviews. I'm not saying you got to give us five stars, but if you feel like it, by all means, rate it five stars. And the reviews have been really kind too. And um, basically new listeners have found the show. So if you are new to this show, you can find all past episodes archived for free on our website. I believe there's 77 past episodes. So tons of content. And um, iTunes and other podcasting apps only post the most recent 50 episodes, but everything else is for free on our website. And then you can leave comments on the website as well. We've received a lot of comments in the last couple of weeks, so feel free to engage and join in this conversation there. And then, of course, on social media, just at Surf Splendor on Instagram, and then, of course, on Facebook. So thank you. I hope that you enjoy today's show with surfer photographer Justin J. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. My first exposure to you was Blake Cooney started filming with John John, uh-huh. like whenever that was, you know, a year number of years ago. And um, put together this edit from the North Shore when he was on O'Neill 
I don't know if you remember this edit. I think it was called Seven Mile. I'm not sure. I don't know for me with edit. I mean, definitely Blake. Blake's a good friend of mine, but okay. I don't remember. I don't remember that edit. Well, it was like John John was on the rise, of course, and like this edit came out of Hawaii that was like mental, and it was like ten minutes long, um, real O'Neill centric kind of promotional thing. But I think it was called Seven Mile, and it blew my mind. John John, first of all, but then it made me pay attention to the filmmaker too. I was like, who is this guy? And so I checked him out, and I think it was on his website or something. He said, photographers who have inspired my work, and your name was there. And I think I, honestly, I think it's just, I like the um, the name Justin J. <laughs> just like the way that it reads sounds yeah. cool to well, me. Everything starts from good branding. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you had to make up a cool name for a photographer, it's like, yeah. Justin J is pretty rad. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I clicked over to your website, and immediately it was like hanging with P. Diddy, like all this stuff that I, I assumed it would be surfing photos and it wasn't there might have been on there but that wasn't what I saw initially it was like a chick in a bathtub I think having yeah. a bubble bath I'm like <laughs> I'm in and then P Diddy I was like sweet so that that kind of intrigued me that um number one I thought like oh this kid's interested in things outside of surfing I'm cool with that but then when I kind of paid more attention to you then I realized no you actually are involved in surfing what what came first for you I mean it's funny well first of all like um big shout out I know we're taping here at the the Lucky Llama here in, Car right. in Carpinteria <laughs> it's my hometown um and it's kind of fitting because it's it's kind of gone full circle in a way like I, I grew up here um I, I grew up you know I grew up in the ocean my dad had boats I grew up boogie boarding and I probably started actually surfing um when I was like maybe 15 or 16 but um I was living in New York by the time I was 18 so oh, okay you know I really kind of fell out of that world up until maybe about 10 years ago and I out of the surfing out world? of the surfing world um and I really I met a lot of people and I started surfing in Rockaway and started like oh, okay. I got a place out there and so you know the irony is we're within probably walking distance of Rincon um, mm -hmm. but I pretty much learned how to you know to surf and rock away for the most part as an adult you know amazing and uh so about six I guess about eight years ago I had this idea that I wanted to I'd never really been to the North Shore and I just I wanted to document it because I feel like it had never really been shown in the light that I wanted to see it you know like I don't know just you hear all these great stories about you know the, the dark underbelly and all these great things about the North Shore and, and it's been documented so well from a surfing standpoint but I just I felt like right. there were stories that kind of had fallen through the cracks so I had originally pitched it as an editorial project um, and this was like I guess the fall of was it 2007 or 8 like when the world was going to end like mm. <laughs> during the big recession and, sure pitched and, uh, it to who uh, pitched it I wanted to shoot it in a for a magazine that's outside of the action sports world because I didn't want to preach you know to people that already were familiar with that so there used to be this magazine called Radar which is um kind of like a like a culture kind of sassy like it's, it's basically a culture culture magazine okay. um and they were super interested in it and the wheels were in motion and then they basically just folded one morning like in October of that fall and so I was like I I, I just really still wanted to, to shoot this project so I took a couple meetings I had a couple connections at Hurley and Volcom and um, I met with their art team and they were everybody was really receptive to it they're like oh well, we love your work I mean we can't pay you I don't know what we can do with it but you know any help we can we can provide you know let us know so kind of just booked the ticket blind and they give you a place to stay at least no not even wow. I mean they they're you know they they didn't they didn't know what they could do with the stuff so did they know, offer access that's the key part I mean they were that the, the main thing is that they they kind of dialed me in with two two ambassadors if you will like um Pat O'Connell was really instrumental and really helpful and great dude 
um, as was Troy Eckert at, at, at Volcom. So between those two, those two guys kind of provided me access to the Volcom house and to the, to the Hurley team and everything kind of branched out from there, you know, so that was my first year. And then, you know, in subsequent years, um, you know, I became really close with Chris Cote and the whole, t- the whole team over at Transworld and, you know, I'd stay with them. And then, um, eventually started shooting all the surf ads for Nixon. So it kind of snowballed as a result, but I mean, it really came from just a personal project that I wanted to shoot. And, um, before Hawaii, you said you wanted to go document the scene in Hawaii. Um, obviously, photography was your medium. How did you get into photography initially? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd been involved in photography just even as, as a hobby, like since high school. You know, I okay. took it as an elective, and then I went to went to college in New York at Hunter and took it as an elective. Like, I have a, I have a media and English degree, and it was, I don't have a BFA, but, you know, I've always been involved in photography. And um, after I graduated, I had this big storefront loft space in, on the Lower East Side, and I rented rooms to three other people. And, you know, it was like kind of... This is like in the rough and tumble Alphabet City in the early '90s. It was like it was yeah. it was grungy, but it was a great big space. We had a pool table and you know four rooms, and I was waiting tables at the time. And and two of my other roommates were photo assistants. And um, you know the day rate back then for a photo assistant was like you know 150 a day or basically whatever it was. Like we were both both of us kind of making the same money. And I was like, well, I'm like serving pasta to assholes and they're like <laughs> traveling the world with like hot girls and eating well and like doing really amazing cool stuff so what kind of stuff are they shooting um mostly fashion assistants okay and like i mean one of my my best friends at the time he was actually a, f- a full-time assistant for richard avidon at the time and okay. so you know they were doing some really cool stuff it it's, makes it sound like if you're in new york and you're interested in fashion and you're decent with a camera you can just get a, f- a photo assistant job for 150 bucks a day is to, that to a degree i mean it's definitely it's it's connection driven i okay. mean there's, it's certainly not not something you're going to find on Craigslist or like on a on a coffee shop billboard. But sure. I mean, if you can get dialed in and if you work hard and you know you know a few people, like it's 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 a route you can take. I mean, it's it's really fun for the first however many years or months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Eventually, like it's not a career. Like it'll it'll right. burn you out for sure. Well, the same know? thing goes with surf photography. Is yeah, you could do it for free, kind of like you ended up in Hawaii. Yeah. And it's rad. But once you kind of get to hang out with your idols and realize they're human beings too that the the bloom wears off you know and then you're like i need to get paid yeah (laughs) sure sure and so you know i basically really started you know photography as a whole as an alternative just to kind of wow to to not wait tables you know and so i ended up working for mostly fashion photographers i was you know i was freelance but i had like a kind of you know a, a a group of people that I worked for pretty regularly and uh, mostly fashion oriented and it's it, it's kind of a trap it's really difficult to be a photo assistant and to not kind of emulate the people that you work for sure and this was like in the late 90s when everything was like fashion you know mm. like fashion awards and you know fashion was huge and you know I was like oh, I think I want to be a fashion photographer and I just yeah. like I did it for like a year or two and I just like it wasn't clicking I don't think it was my lane it wasn't just wasn't that good at it it wasn't really had you had an interest in fashion prior not 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 so much I mean and that's basically like kind of what this realization was I woke up one morning and I was like you know like like basically to be a fat you know like I I woke up one morning I was like well you know like like I don't live and die for clothes like I'm not gay and I don't go out every night you know and it's like you kind of have to have at least one or two of those (laughs) to to make it in that world you know it's like I just really don't care and so I started shooting a little bit more music music stuff and I guess a kind of big break came when uh, just kind of a strange story but basically the long end of it is I end up becoming a 
personal photographer to Sean Combs um, and, and traveling with him and kind of documenting his world. And that's kind of how I got into the hip hop world and got out of the fashion world. And I, I think I kind of really blossomed more like in that realm. You know, I was much more passionate about it. Um, you say it's a long story. We got long format <laughs> opportunity here. <laughs> that's kind of an important yeah, story. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Um, it, it kind of it kind of just happened. I basically had a, one, of, one of my roommates um, had a friend who basically they put my name forward and at the time uh, Puff was being managed by this guy Benny Medina who he's still around like if you watch uh, you know Jennifer Lopez at like award shows he's usually sitting next to her he's like kind of big Hollywood shark guy and so he was managing Puff for a quick minute and his office had somehow gotten my name through a friend of a friend whatever and it was a really crappy deal they wanted like I don't think they even knew what they wanted to do with the photos they wanted just like a staff photographer or something sure. it was like a horrible rate a total buyout they were going to own everything and I was like, I mean, I even at that young stage, I knew it was a crappy deal, but I was like, you know, let me just let me do it for a month and you mm-hmm. know see what it leads to or whatever. Absolutely. And uh, w- literally, like within a week after that, he f- he fired Benny or they split ways, and then this is all this crazy stuff went down with with you know Puff and Jennifer got arrested at this club and like weapons trial, like oh all I this remember crazy this crazy stuff went down. Um, and I had established a relationship with him at that point. And I was just like, hey, you know what, we should do a book project. And he just liked the way that I shot, and I was just. Let me, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, You're there photographing and you have access, but how much of it is actually a relationship with him? I mean, does he have people keeping you at arm's length or are you guys communicating? No, I mean, that a little, actually kind of neither. I mean, I think that was one of the reasons why he liked me from the beginning is that I just like fly on the wall. I wasn't up in his grill trying to be his best friend. I wasn't trying to be like part of the crew, quote unquote. And, um, And because of that, like, I mean, I had... On amazing access, you mm. know, and st- you know, still to this day, it's just, um, you know, I hadn't seen him for a while. I saw him last week for the first time in, you know, probably a year or two. He did a big concert with like Snoop and Dre and a bunch of people, and like, you know, it's he's just, like family in a sense, you know. And the irony is, like, I probably spent less than you know 15 minutes actually talking to the guy in, right. in 15 years, but at the same time, like. I watched his kids grow up and I've been in these incredibly intimate scenarios with him and you know it's almost almost never have have I had a scenario where like I've been kicked out of the room or he doesn't want me around it just is a matter of trust and yeah and you know so I mean that's what's cool is like that from that whole scenario from the beginning like my access was from the top down you know so right. it wasn't publicist driven it wasn't managers it was like it was him and you know like that's the the one thing about about him like love him or hate him like he's like a self-made man and he's also at the he's the center of his world you know what sure. I mean? like there's no crazy like fat lawyer with a cigar like running the show behind the scenes like he he it's his ship you know hmm. so from for that perspective i was really lucky because i just had like this amazing access from the top from the beginning you know wow. um fascinating so it was pretty fascinating and 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 you know in some ways some ways like i owe him a great debt of gratitude because you know when i started shooting the Hawaii project like that really kind of formed my perspective of what I wanted to document and you wouldn't think that shooting in that world would translate well into the surf world but the skill sets like actually surprisingly similar you know it's just is a lot of a lot of aspects of, of personality and of trust and just kind of getting people to to let you into their world and forget about you and and also just how to take like a week's worth of of events and distill them into you know, seven stories, seven pictures that, right. that, that tell that story, you know, so. I would think in a sense, the, um, the Sean Combs experience is so, such a higher paced 
more intense, there's more money involved, there's more people involved, it's a much bigger industry that then ending up on the North Shore and working with the surf industry would seem like a walk in the park by comparison. To, yeah, to some degrees. I mean, the weird thing is, is that I, th I think I, I kind of, I, you know, I moved to New York when I was 18 and I definitely had a love of hip hop. And I mean, I wouldn't say I was in that scene per se. And, you know, I lived downtown and that whole environment that I ended up working in kind of just happened. And, you know, obviously I made myself invaluable and I was good at what I did and made a role for myself, but it kind of just happened, you know, serendipitously. Whereas the surf project is something that just was a lot more passionate about and a lot closer to home and, yeah. and, and in some ways because of that it means a lot more to me because it's something that I completely created for myself instead of just kind of happened to me you yeah know? Um, and so and, I, and at the same time I think that that's kind of the reason why I've gotten such traction and access in that surf world is because I'm this weird X factor and as you know like a lot of the people that uh, that shoot in the surf world like that's kind of what they do you know they're either like wanted to be you know pro surfers or friends of a pro surfer or just love surf you know it's a very mm -hmm. surf centric little environment and and you know I'm kind of this weird X factor I live in New York City and I shot hip hop and you know they're like wait who is this guy so it's just kind of like this weird I, I think there's an element of, of kind of mystery and outsider that, that's worked in my in my advantage because of that. You know? That is what it drew me in when I said that initial experience of just clicking on your website. If there was an image, a pipeline shot from the beach of some Hawaiian dude in a barrel, I probably would have never clicked to the second page of your website because yeah. I've seen there's a million surf photographers that shoot that. Yeah. And um, the fact that it wasn't that drew me in. But at the same time, if it was just a random hip-hop artist whose name I didn't know, I probably also wouldn't have clicked to the next page, you know? Good, good the right. fact that it was, like, these A-list guys made it made it very interesting to me. So, yeah, that X-Factor thing is, I think, fairly accurate. You know, and it also, and it also formed my, my perspective of how I wanted to document the North Shore in the sense that it was almost kind of my mission, state for, for, mission statement from the get that, like, I'm not going to shoot any action. I don't want to shoot surfing. I want to shoot surfers. And that means, like, I want to take pictures of everything from, you know, dudes eating cereal before they paddle out to the fist fights to the laughter and, like, you know, and everything in between. And it just, it seems so obvious to me, but a lot of that stuff I feel like just isn't, isn't captured, you know? Like, even with respect to Kelly Slater, it's like, we all know that dude rips. He's, like, one of the best athletes that ever lived. Like, I don't necessarily need to see another photo of him on a wave. You know, it's like, last time I checked, he's not J.D. Salinger. Like, there's a lot of photos of that dude, you yeah. know? Like, but, you know, I want to see pictures. You know, I, I kind of just have tried from the beginning to, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm a surf fan, you know? Right. And I'm a hip-hop fan. And I try to put myself in that perspective of, like, when you're 13 years old, what would you want to see? Like, you want to see your rock star's closet. You want to see your rock star's, like, what goes on backstage? How do they react with their kids? Like, what do they do after the concert? You know, mm -hmm. and I try to kind of, that was my perspective of trying to bring that into the surf world. You know? Well, um, if I had to define kind of your style, um, I would say for listeners maybe who haven't seen your work, it's like portrait photography to an extent or maybe lifestyle photography would be a better way to put it. But the point is that every image I feel like has, they say a picture says a thousand words or whatever. Yeah. That is, your work is the definition of that. I see an image and it's just like there's this infinite story behind the image that I'm curious about. The way that it's shot, and I've shot a lot of photos and it's like even if I tried to shoot an intimate moment with somebody, I wouldn't capture the intimacy that your work seems to capture. And I think some of it is to do with the equipment that, that you're using you. and the lighting and stuff like that. But 
it has like a certain um, tonal quality to it that I think is soft and I don't know intimate but also just the moments that are captured um, where like I said every image I see I just wonder like I want to know more about it I wish there was five pages of text that accompanied each photo and that I could know what the story was and uh, which is why it's great to have you on the show oh, no, so I can get I some of those stories. No, I appreciate that. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge compliment because, you know, like it, for me, you know, in the course of my career, it's funny, like when I was a photo assistant, there's a lot of technical stuff and a lot of equipment and, you know, like sure. that whole world. And, and uh, so I, I kind of learned that and then kind of unlearned that to sure. a degree. And then working, you know, in the hip hop world, it's really is so personality driven and so, so much about almost more about psychology than technique in terms of like mm-hmm. being able to anticipate moments and, and read people and, and kind of get people to trust you and, mm-hmm. you know all those factors and I think it's kind of culminated in, in this project in Hawaii and now it's like it's almost decidedly low tech like I usually carry mm. you know one body and maybe a backup body and lens one one lens and uh, it's really more just about like kind of scouring the beach and finding moments and developing relationships you know so that's what what's interesting is that a million surf photographers have come before you and there's been a few who actually I think Steve Sherman would be a guy who intentionally tries to just shoot those moments as well but I feel like you've kind of done it as good as if not better than anybody I mean there's certainly you have a unique quality but um you know why have we not captured a lot of these moments previously Scott Bass and I talk about it on the show all the time where it's like they need to cultivate more stories whether it's on the ASP or in the magazines they need to cultivate story cultivate story why is nobody cultivating yeah, the stories you're trying to tell I mean first well first of all big shout out to Steve of course, Sherm. Yeah. Sherm's a man he's he's a good friend of mine and you know I think we, we kind of have this very like uh, like friendly competition with each other sure. I don't think we kind of drive each other to, to take you know different shots and I know he's inspired me and, and, and vice versa but um, yeah I don't know I mean it, it's interesting if you look at you look at surf culture right now and you look at how many people are actually blessed to get to live near an Mm -hmm. ocean and surf it's minuscule like in the grand scheme of things you know and then you couple that with the explosion of surf culture and you have like you know toothpaste commercials using surfers and Mm -hmm. like i feel like surfing as as a as a culture is probably bigger now than it has been at least since the 60s when it blew up if if not ever you Mm -hmm. know and so it's it's ironic that you know, you hear all these rumors, who knows whether it's true or not, but like with the financial troubles of the WSL and they're like, how can you not like parse those two statements that you have like the governing body of like a sport who's, you know, arguably not doing very well or, you know, on the verge of bankruptcy. And then you have a culture that's just starved for, yeah, for these figures, you know, yeah. and I think it's because you need to develop the stories, you know, you need to tell like the story of 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 them as a human being not as like a, them as like a a, a technical wave writer sure you know? but you know that's well within the industry how is your work um received i remember seeing like you know like you said you're pitching the idea of telling these stories and shooting mainly lifestyle and portrait i remember seeing a spread in um trans world i think was the first time i saw your work in print how how in general is your work received? Um, pretty well received. I mean, I first of all, I was same thing. Big shout out to Transworld. I mean, I think in terms of, uh, I had cultivated uh, some degree of access up until that point on the mm-hmm. North Shore, but they were kind of like the first 
publication to, I guess to really like kind of be able to expose it to the world so you know Chris and Chris and Justin and the, uh, the whole team at Transworld is super bummed when when that whole thing fell apart because um, they were they've been super good to me I feel like not only did they run you but they championed you like sure. I remember them saying nice things for you know? sure you know and, and and also just even you know in terms of, of access like I would you know they, they I would stay at their house okay. for two for you know two consecutive years and you know that helps a lot too because you're literally waking up and like random amazing heads are just walking in and out of the door you're just, you know you're really in the mix and you know and they're just fun guys too like I literally and that's another thing that's really special about the North Shore too is like with the exception of Turtle Bay like there's really there's no place to stay there's no hotels there right. so it's like unless you rent a house or really dialed in you're kind of out of the mix and so you know like I literally stayed I stayed in Chris Cote's closet for 10 days <laughs> you know it's wow. like Chris and Justin like shared a bed together I slept in the closet you know people wow. on the floor you know we call it dude soup but it's it's fun it's like you know it's like summer camp you know sure. you go back you go in front especially for me in particular because I'm not really in that world 12 months of the year that it's like I go back you know for a month in December or whenever and it's like you see all these friends basically mm-hmm. that you don't see otherwise you know so let's talk kind of nuts and bolts business when you're on a trip like that are you um how does it work financially like are you receiving a day rate how does this all work no i mean it, it's funny like it's been seven years now trying to kind of reverse engineer where the money is in the surf industry and i haven't been able to get to the bottom of it you know okay. like i mean it, it it started off like straight up credit card out of the pocket style you know on spec a couple years into it um i started shooting all the surf ads for nixon so that helped out um i did some stuff for red bull and then we'd kind of feed feed pictures here and there whether it was to trans world or stab or something like that um but even even as of last year it's it's just a matter of like listen i'm gonna be there for these you know 22 days or whatever sometimes i'll make money out of it sometimes i won't it's really just about a matter of like you know, I, I, it's all self-funded, and then depending on the on the season, like I'll get some ads out of it, or I'll feed the pictures after the fact. But are those ads or that Nixon work, for example, is that um, you know, does that bring you to even, or does that? Yeah, I mean, okay. I think the the key factor is being able to to just keep your expenses down. You know, sure. and if I was like, like I said, if I was staying at Turtle Bay or like renting a house out of my pocket and living by myself, the numbers absolutely would not work, you know. But like, you know, last year um, or, you know, this past year, the guys from the Inertia are, you know, really, really great guys. And so, you know, Zach and that whole team put me up and, you know, I've read some stories for them. So, you know, that helps. You figure, you know, two, two, three weeks on the North Shore, like that's easily a couple Gs. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not paying for that, generally like you know I'll, I'll usually break even or make a little bit of money but it also it's like yeah I just got to hang out on the North Shore with like all my friends and the entire surf industry and like shoot pictures that I love for three weeks so you know I, I can't complain no absolutely not and I wonder too if it's actually a good thing that there's really no money in it because if there was money in it imagine how crowded it would be in adi- additionally yeah it's you know? true and it's also i mean the fact that i'm shooting it on spec it also allows me to take pictures that i absolutely want to take as opposed to have to take in right. terms of like here's a here's, you know a great example like i one of my favorite photos is um that i took at the quick pro in new york it's a simple shot but it's a, it's a picture of kelly um, just about to paddle out and there's like an, an arc of maybe 30 photographers standing between him and the water like taking a picture of him and I was like it's once again like really like 
you need a tight frame picture of Kelly Slater. Like, how many yeah. times have we seen that? So I kind of went behind him and shot all the photographers shooting Kelly. And, like, that, to me, tells more of a story than I would think anything that they're shooting. That said, if I had, like, a client, quote-unquote, like, you kind of have to shoot that literal money shot exactly. as opposed to, you know, like, I'm going to just cruise and I'm not beholden to anybody. And, you know, also, even brand-wise, like, it's, it's I think I'm kind of one of the few people that I like to think of myself as like a you know like photographic switzerland kind of guys mm. like you know every year I, I i add another house to my repertoire of people that i've either worked with or know or you know they're comfortable having me around so it's like i can literally just go from like to the hurley house the rip crow house the welcome house like right. and just kind of like free float and and capture photos and not have to be like oh that guy shoots for hurley or that's like or even the politics of you know shooting being on staff at a surf magazine right. you know it's like you know i've shot for or i've had pictures published in you know in stab and trans world and the inertia and you know beach grit and all these and like i don't think a lot of people get to do that because you know they they're clients of those particular you know and it's yeah. very political you know yeah. and I try and stay clear of that because no one's really you know if people aren't feeding you a bunch of money they can't really ask much either you exactly know? and I, I I've uh, struggled a few times in my life with taking things that I love passion projects and then trying to make them profitable and I look at that with the podcast too and it's like yeah it'd be fantastic if you can bring on sponsors and make money but then it becomes something different and then they money and, they may give you money but everybody wants something in return or know? they and don't want you to say something you yeah. know and then it's like that would be a great scenario to have that income but I need to enjoy this now for what it is because it's it's something special when it's purely done out of passion. I mean, and I think that's in a way that's that's kind of one of the issues with the with the surf world if you look at it in terms of like surf journalism, which I don't really think there is much. It's more just right. kind of like surf glorification, which is fine, but you know sometimes there actually are stories that need to be covered. You know, yeah. like I mean. Uh, I won't get into specifics, but you know, even the whole Andy Irons thing and yeah. how, how that was covered, I think that's a product of like it's such a small community that like all of the people that are writing and shooting like know most of the athletes, and there's only you know a half dozen or ten sponsors that are funding the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's difficult, you know. And if you look at if the New York Times can you know ha- have issues, you know, with Judith Miller being in bed with the Bush administration. I mean, if it happens on that level, like it's most definitely going to happen on the surf level too. Oh, so absolutely. It's really difficult to get in any sort of, you know, objective journalism, you know. And for me, like, I, I like to think of myself as objective, but at the same time, like my uh, my main main focus is not necessarily to make people look good unnecessarily but like i'm not trying to i'm not i'm not trying to be greasy and take pictures of you know people picking their nose or cheating on their wives or you know that's not that's not what i do you know like i love just like a great intimate but like upbeat moment that tells a story you know that's what i'm trying to do it's interesting with surf journalism and like you said glorification it's mainly glorification there's been a couple little um websites or things that have come out that are kind of more journalistic in focus but I feel like even they have swayed towards being sensational where it's like we're going to uncover the stories and then we're also going to be mean about it you know yeah, yeah. are you talking are you talking about my my boys at Beach Grit <laughs> <laughs> big shout I'm out I'm cool with them too I am cool D- Derek is no. probably my favorite writer in the entire industry and industry. I like it yeah. I like it I have room in my life for that but I'm saying there's still the open niche for a truly journalistic non-sensational yeah. non-insulting yeah uh, I think Surfers Journal does that very well they do you know? that's true um, but you know like Beach Grit they kind of they, they have a nice little lane for themselves I think they're forging you know I mean 
like I said, Derek is one of the most like witty and articulate and funny writers. It just brings a lot of, of just lighthearted fun to the sport, which I, I don't think I see that a lot in the in the, the surf media, you know, and then and then Chaz, you know, Chaz, Chaz is bombastic and he can be a dick, you know, I'm cool with him, but like he's a great writer too, mm-hmm. you know, and he adds, he brings that to the table, but it's just, you know, I think it's cool that those guys are kind of using Vice Magazine more as a template than, you know, a surf line or something Absolutely. like that, which I think is just snore. You right. Know, like, it's much bigger picture for them. Um, let's talk about the Hawaii project. Um, w- you by the way, have you ever opened this particular book? It's got a tight binding on it still. Like, I cracked it open. I was like, oh, my God, is this the first time? Has that one been opened? Yeah. I, okay. I mean, it's actually – it actually wasn't pu- – it's not published. It's okay. just like I did a handful of them just as kind of gifts to some of the athletes, and then okay. I'll show it to, to, to clients. But, um, you know, originally I, I was planning on – or maybe still am planning on getting it published, but it's just – you know, I thought five years would be a nice round number, and then, you know, last year was just my seventh year working on it, and I was just like, I kind of, it's nice just to go back every year. And So what was the idea with shooting Hawaii? Was the intention to put together a book, and what, I tell think, me about the, yeah, the concept. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually, you know, like I said, started as a editorial project, my, you know, first, first incentive to just being, being able to get to go there and have somebody pay for it. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. Um, and then, you know, when some of the money started coming in from, from Nixon and other clients, like that kind of helped just perpetuate me going back every, every year. But, you know, I, I've had two shows in New York of some of the stuff, and I think I might do something else in, in Rockaway this summer. And, you know, it, it's hard just because on one hand, you know, I have the, my commercial photography side and, you know, like those jobs are far and few between. But like one solid ad job for, you know, Nike or a real client is going to pay, you know, one day and make way more than it would take me a year to produce a book and, and yeah. distribute it. And it just, there's, there's very little money in, in, in printing books because they're expensive to produce and they're hard to distribute. And, you know, I, for me, I'd rather just kind of, I don't know, I'm just proud of those photos. I'm not sure what I want to do with well, them. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I'm curious, actually, in your opinion on this, what has more value to you? Printing 80 photos, let's say, in this book. I don't know how many are in here, but let's just say 80. And having this hardcover book to show for it, or posting eighty photos on a well curated Instagram feed. Um, I, you know, I I really struggled with Instagram just because it, photography is at a really strange point right now. Like, if I wasn't a f- professional photographer by trade, it would be an amazing time for photography. It's very, it's kind of democratized the art form. Sure. You know, it was like ten years ago, used to have this, used to have to have like a rudimentary there was a barrier of entry like a rudimentary knowledge of like f-stops and lighting and you know especially if you're developing your own stuff or you know films iso and you know now it's like basically if you have 500 dollars and an index finger like you can be a photographer Mm -hmm. you know um now i i think without sounding douchey i'm probably better than your average teenager with an iphone but to some degree it almost doesn't matter anymore because because of instagram and all these social media feeds like the landscape has kind of just been flooded with so much white noise that i don't think people if 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 not care maybe don't know the difference between like you know a crappy selfie or a picture of your friends and like you know a proper good photograph you know and so i i kind of did my best not to be become bitter about that as i think a lot of photographers in my position are but and i've kind of embraced it now you know like definitely my my instagram feed i i don't do i don't do 15 photos a day and i probably won't put like my most special special stuff on there but it provides me you know an outlet for stuff that i normally wouldn't 
otherwise I wouldn't put on my commercial site because it's not appropriate for clients and you know it's, it's well, definitely here's my a, question. an alternate outlet here's my question though is is the goal to get eyeballs and share these images with people and if it is then what's the difference between printing it in this book or posting it on Instagram more arguably more eyeballs will see it on Instagram I mean me personally I, I think context is more important for me at this point okay you know like I think and I'm also I'm, I'm lucky too because I would like to think that some of the stuff that I shot is kind of it has a historical value because it's so narrative driven you know and I think portraits are really difficult because you know if you look at look at a portrait of Mick Jagger from like the 80s it looks corny you know what I mean like mm -hmm. the styling changes and like it's just there's trends and you know lighting and all these things but you know since I'm taking more narrative documentary photographs I'm hoping that they'll have a historical value 20 years from now like this is like a slice of what surf culture and the North Shore was in you know the early 2000s or whatever so because of that I'm just I'm not as stressed to just have to like flood yeah. the landscape and get those out because I just that's the one problem I guess that's the double-edged sword of Instagram is that it allows you to get your work across to such a broad amount of people but it's also incredibly disposable you right know? and it's just like like even people that that I follow or that follow me and I appreciate their work it's like yeah if you are actually have a life that afternoon and aren't checking your Instagram for six hours like the pictures are gone forever right. you know it's yeah. just it's a, it's a feed so because of that yeah I think to, it's um, important um, to consider the way that people digest information and I want people to work for the information you know and that's kind of why I like the podcast platform too is like you got to commit an hour to listen to this thing yeah, and, but and there's a reward for it too. there is and sometimes the reward is at the 58th minute you know yeah. <laughs> but it's like the 58th minute matters because you invested the 57 minutes and I think with Instagram it's like this you're standing on the bank and there's a river just passing in front of you and all these images are in the river just running and even if you like an image you're only gonna see it for a moment or two because my thumb's scrolling and I only got five minutes to scroll through or 30 seconds to scroll through so committing the $30 or whatever it is to buy a book and then committing to sitting down and taking the time to flip through it and not look at my phone and not be on the computer at the same time I, as the consumer, am now invested in the imagery already, you yeah. know, and have, va I've already assigned a value to it. Therefore, it's going to be more impactful in my life. And so, um, that's my thoughts on it, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, I definitely, I, I, I do like print. I mean, that's, that's why I was a little bummed that, you know, I mean, I love, as much as I love beach grit, um, when Derek was at Stab, like, I think that's my favorite surf magazine, hands down, just because mm -hmm. it was as a, just a, a physical piece of magazine like it's yeah. it's it's gorgeous the the paper feels a certain way yeah it smells a certain way the art direction's great you know it's just like there's it's something something unique as opposed to you know people showing you their ipad and right like with the scroll and that's why i mean then that's another kind of reason that i think i've been able to cultivate a lot of relationships on the north shore is like i always try and give i bring a box of prints every year Do to you? give back to people and you know like i said everyone's photographer everyone arguably takes some good photos or maybe they take amazing photos but you know people come up to you on the beach like oh i got this great photo and then they show you their iphone or the back right. of their camera and it's just like it doesn't have that gravity whereas like you know especially now nobody really touches physical prints anymore so yeah. when you like roll up to someone and you know a lot of the people that i've shot like i'm friendly with they may know me by face but i'm not necessarily friends with them per se sure. and, and especially since 
I'm kind of a lot of times just you know lurking trying to be invisible and like capture moments like they may not even know that I took this photo and then I come back you know 12 months later and give them like a physical print that I signed Mm -hmm. and you know like took time to make for them like it it means a lot you know when you're hiring for a small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I'm curious about that and in regards to access, I would assume somebody like Kelly Slater might see you lurking and just, he's had people lurk on him forever and he's fine with it. He's not going to say anything. But with this book and on the North Shore, there's heavier characters who probably aren't as kind to cameras being pointed in their direction especially if you're poaching and they don't know who you are, you know? And some of the most maybe interesting photos that I've seen of yours are of Bruce Irons and even Andy Irons. Um, What's access like with those guys? Were were you introduced to some of those guys first or how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, well, it's actually, ironically, like with Kelly, like I have a couple of, you know, really great photos that I love of him, but like ironically, he's probably the the guy that I've shot the least as a whole. Sure. And at the same time, as much as like, I mean, he's he's a surf god straight up. But at the same time, and with all due respect, I'm not as interested in shooting him because like, you know, Sherm's been Sherm's got it covered. You know, there's sure. a lot of photos of him. You know, yeah. so I don't think it needs to be. It, it doesn't need to be documented as much. Um, with uh, with Bruce, actually, I um, I was introduced to him through Nixon. I shot couple ads for him right and so uh, Mike Marciano who was uh the you know the the big cheese over at at Nixon for the surf team is just a good friend of mine and so we'd worked a lot with Bruce and went to um Kauai one year and like hung out with him for a couple days okay shot an ad over there um Andy I was introduced to him just kind of cursory through through um Blair his 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 um manager at the time and just kind of just got a quick introduction and i mean a lot of the guys though ultimately like i literally just walk up to them cold introduce myself you know show them whatever photo i have like you know five seconds to kind of capture their attention sometimes like i might want to show them a photo of someone they know to kind of add credibility sometimes it'd be like oh here's a picture of you know jennifer lopez or whatever you know really that might actually work better (laughs) it's funny it, it did work better in fact even like my second year I came back to Hawaii, like, I was so stoked, and, you know, I was still kind of fresh in that world, and I was just, 
happy to have like gotten to oh I hung out with Ramachado or hung you know like yeah. I was stoked to, to have these photos in my archive you know I'd bring them back the next year to try and like lend credibility to people yeah. I hadn't met and they'd be like yeah yeah whatever these are pictures of my friends you know like oh wait wait what's that picture they'd be like oh bro yo he shot P Diddy you know it's just <laughs> like I'm so over that archive like I'm stoked to yeah. be you know it's, it was really ironic the things that I was most passionate about they're just like yeah I know these dudes so what you yeah know, like, um has there ever been i mean that's that i can relate to that nervousness of like walking up to somebody and trying you got that five second sales pitch that you got to convince them with has there do you have any examples of stories where it went horribly wrong not horribly wrong like like um you know i was trying to tell the a wide scope of of stories on the north shore and you know like kala alexander is definitely like a very colorful character and you know everyone's got their opinion of him but you i was like i have to have this guy as part of the story it's just like he's he's one of those figures and so literally just you know went up to him cold did the sale pitch and you know he was he was okay he but he was like oh give me a call you know but it was just so like kind of i don't know who this kid is and i mm-hmm. tried a couple times it just didn't get any leverage and then um two couple years i guess maybe a year or two after that um i was working with his brother kamale um with the analog team and i had a really amazing photo of uh, this is after andy irons had passed that picture of, of andy and kala like hugging you know that i kind of just just a, a snap post shot and uh i asked kamale i was like hey do you know is your brother around like i'm trying to give him this photo and he was like put his board down like called Kala he's like yo you gotta get over here this kid's got this amazing photo and wow. like and so Kala came over and you know I gave him my photo and then you know f- after that point we were like we were cool you okay. know so it kind of took like just this uh you know a, a secondary kind of interaction to be able to, to get access to him but right. you know for the most part like when I, when I say you know lurking and poaching and all those terms like I, I shoot with I don't know if there's you know it's too technical for non-photographers but I shoot almost exclusively with a 35 millimeter lens which is like it's a very wide lens so it's like I'm not the dude that's you know behind trees or behind cars like if I'm taking your photo like I'm kind of in your face so it's not like you may not know me but I'm not you definitely see me you yeah know what I mean so it's like I, I really despise that whole sense of like paparazzi lurking behind the trees and I just right. it's, it's, I find it really offensive you know as a photographer and also just as a as a human it's just disrespectful you know so right. you know all those times where they may not know me or I'm trying to be invisible it's like but I'm I'm present you know sure. like I'm, I'm kind of up in their face and and they they really don't want me to, to take their picture like they usually don't have to say so like that's kind of what I do like I'll sense it you know that's that's my yeah. skill the, you know? the all the photos that I've seen feel as though the subject knows that you are there and has known you for 20 years like they're fully comfortable with you being there there's no element of their um discomfort or surprise or anything like that yeah, that lends you, to you. the intimacy of yeah the photos. i mean so i guess at least half of that's true <laughs> like okay. they may not know me for 20 years but they you know they most of the time they i would i would say the 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 formula is that they definitely know I'm there and then either just get bored and forget about me or leave me alone and let me take my photo. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, you know, I just sense that, you know, it's like, whatever. Like It's like in the animal world. Like if a porcupine's got his spikes up, like, sure. you know, it's, that's, you don't, don't toy with that animal. Put the camera away. But for the way. most part, um, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. And I think a lot of that comes down to Hawaii is an amazing place to shoot that kind of stuff. Right. Because there's a lot of central watering holes if you will you know and that's why you know i was so excited when the quick pro came to new york because i'm like all these people i've met and got to work with they're going to be in my hometown and i just like i didn't really get any great photos just because it was just like 
you know, it's like some people are staying at this hotel, there's a party here, or there's this laminate or this pass, and it's mm. just so, and that's what's amazing about Hawaii, like first and foremost, is that like there's, you know, let's say 15 team houses right on the, on the, on the beach, and the backstage, quote unquote, to the judging tower is literally just a scaffolding, like no one hangs out up there, and yeah. it's like anybody who's anybody is like hanging out on the lawns of these 15 houses, and there's no... Uh, you know bodyguard or bouncer with like a turtleneck sweater and like a velvet rope it's yeah. like it's just these staircases and they're wide open like if you think you belong like go ahead and walk up like right. you'll find out right. real quick but you know it's it's kind of uh, mafia oriented i don't mean that in a pejorative way but just like in the sense it's a it's a very closed circle but mm-hmm. like when somebody kind of vouches for you and, and invites you into that world it's very small um you've been there for a lot of seasons and we know some of these big stories that have come out of those seasons. What's been kind of the scariest, let's start with the scariest moment that you've experienced while you're there. You know, uh, me personally, uh, I, I think I've knock on wood. I've been very kind of fortunate to not really have any, you know, personal real negative interactions. Do you witness fights though and stuff like that? A little, down? yeah, a little here and there. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I think in the last two, three years, it's really decreased a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I, was working with the inertia a lot this last year and, and uh, Zach was doing an interview with with Freddie P I saw that and he I was, was just thinking about he that. was talking about how it's it's a really strange time for pipe right now because yeah. there's like a severe power vacuum in the sense that he's like yo there's kids sitting in a lineup that would never ever think of sitting there he's like even it was like when I was coming up like even if the no one was on the wave you didn't take that wave just right. because there was a pecking order you know and you have now it's I think a lot of the kind of older scarier generation you know whether it's like the Kalas or the Borgs or those guys are kind of just like, you know, they're like sober and maybe grew up a little bit or, you know, they're into different things in their life now. And then, you know, the, the new kids that rule it, you know, like that's not what John John's about. That's not right. what Jamie's about, you know, and so there's this weird power vacuum. And, you know, especially even like last two years at the Volcom house, like there's like kids running around everywhere. It's just, I think, I feel like the, the temperament's kind of changed a bit. You know? uh, do you feel view that as positive or negative? I, I think it's a positive thing. Do you? I mean, I, from from me personally, like, at the, I mean, I think the, the thing about Hawaii, which is, which is ironic, is that it definitely has this kind of, perhaps dark underbelly that's legendary of you know like violence and fear or whatever you know covered with a, a veneer of you know aloha and paradise and all that and you know I think if Chaz just illustrated this so well in his book, but at the end of the day, it's kind of. It, it, it is like you know like the old school mafia in the sense that you're not you, your grandma's not going to get mugged walking down Mulberry no. Street a tourist is not going to get their fanny pack snatched at Sunset <laughs> Beach you know what I mean right. it's like there is that like that sense of order and it's like if you're going to get toyed with it's like you're kind of it's because you're in the game I'm not yeah. saying that it's justified but it's like in me personally like I go over there and it's like at to, to put it bluntly, like if you don't mess with their waves or their women, you're not gonna have any problems, right? You know, and, and that's the bottom line. Hmm. Uh, side note: some of your uh, in Chaz's book, he used some of your photos, right? So yeah. that uh, that's worth noting. Yeah. And um, to kind of illustrate exactly what you're talking about, the heavies, but also, you know, that you're not gonna get smacked if you're not out of line. So it's yeah. So it's kind of you know, and and, and once again, I think it's it's you know Chaz illustrated this terrific and you know both in the book and on your podcast but I mean it's really without without promoting it or saying that it's a positive thing it's just it's a it's a really unique place that somebody like 
the head of a corporation could get smacked in their sure. own house and the police or the lawyers don't get involved. Right. Like just just the fact that a place like that still exists is pretty spectacular. Yeah, you know? it is. So um, talking about moments within those seasons and within your book here, um, what's the most exciting moment that you've experienced during that time? Um, I think th- well, this this last year was pretty amazing. I mean, just getting to see you know Medina win. You know, like me competition, competition was the most exciting. Competition you think? was yeah. I mean, you know, like like I said, me me personally, that's not who I was rooting for. I mean, I I, I wasn't necessarily you know a big champion of, of him wanting to win, but dude, that kid earned it straight up. Oh, yeah. He dominated. You know what I mean? And that's all you can ask for. I'm just glad that it didn't come down to like some controversial call or something. I mean, that kid won straight up. And you could, you know, perhaps even argue that he should have won the, the, final. Tri- the triple crown too. You yeah. know, like, so, um, or I think he should have won the final as well. So, you know, that was really exciting. The I guess the year before was pretty amazing too. I was like, right, I had been working with Mick a lot that, that year and it was like right on the beach after the heat ended and it was like pretty spectacular just to be next to a person who like is waiting for a score to drop on the sand like am I a world champion am I not and you know just the energy and you know getting to see like I remember like the the score dropped and he kind of like put his hands over his face and kind of just broke down for like a quick minute not even a minute like 15 seconds and then like composed himself and then went in at a full like you know Aussie like you know rage but yeah. you know just to see this whole like panorama of emotions happen in like 20 seconds was a pretty spectacular what are you doing in that moment I'm literally just like trying to not get an elbow in the face okay. and trying to get my shot you know yeah uh, you know like me I'm you know standing next to Sherman <laughs> he's trying to do the same and um but you know ironically I think this year this the Brazilian year would just pales in comparison in terms of pandemonium I mean, really oh my god I, that so you know he gave he he won he won on points paddled in and then which was one of the most insane things I ever when he seen. was supposed to be surfing he's his supposed heat, to be right? surfing heat. like the dude, yeah the dude is like he's on the live feed giving an interview on the asp while he has a heat running right and then like kind of looks at his watch like makes his way parts the parts the sea goes back to the ocean and then advances his heat like it was yeah the he most, served half a heat basically i can't i still don't know if it was like the most reckless thing or the most gangster thing i've ever seen but i don't think i i've never seen that before in it surfing, seemed you know? sincere as if he just really forgot that he was in a heat and he went in to celebrate and then after the 15 minutes it dawned on him or i think somebody even said it to him and then he's like oh shoot maybe i should get back out <laughs> yeah. there but fate was on his side because no waves really came during that 15 minutes yeah. he didn't miss anything but i mean the irony is that so uh, you know I, I documented him the first time when he came up you know before he gave the news then he went back to the water and then when he came out of the water the second time like i i didn't go anywhere near the water because i was like someone i'm gonna get hurt someone's gonna get hurt. like it was just insane really you know? so i kind of just posted up found like a nice vantage point and waited for everyone to come to me because i was like i'm not gonna go back down there i saw you on the webcast i don't know if you saw the webcast at all but i saw you like they have that clear board with the logos on (laughs) it so that they can stand and do their interviews in front of the clear board and you could see pipe in the background and i think you were like behind the clear board or poking around yeah like posted up and got a good vantage and i was like i I, i'm not gonna go down there because it's just it's crazy yeah and the funniest thing i remember like right after while he uh while he was on camera giving giving an interview, I think it was right then. So Josh Kerr was trying to make his way out to the water to 
to surf a heat and like the crowd he might as well just been like you and me like nobody cared nobody would part for him this poor guy's like walking like trying to wow. walk through the crowds with a surfboard and people are just like yeah yeah whatever it was like the most surreal thing seeing wow. like you know top five or ten surfer in the world like just not being able to get to the water you know unbelievable really, pretty amazing yeah. i'm curious um talking about that moment with mick you know where he hears the score read out and what i said what's your job in that moment or what are you doing in that moment and i i ask that because like when i'm recording this podcast as an example i have one initial kind of priority which is asking questions and keeping the conversation but one eye, I'm looking at the timer on the thing. The other, I've got my phone beeping in my pocket. I'm wondering who's texting me. Yeah. I'm looking at my notes, figuring out how to direct the conversation and segue into the next topic. And it's like, while I'm trying to listen to you and give you cues that I'm listening to you and not throw you off your story, you know? Yeah. So it's like, there's these fundamentals of the conversation that need to keep going, but then there's, I'm processing other things in my brain and it's very difficult to balance that. And so that's kind of where I'm asking with the photographer, what is your role in that moment? And you've probably got a limited number of shots on the camera left. And do you just fire at will or like, what are you, what's your objective? Why are you not taking photos at certain moments? Why are you at others, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, and then once again, I think this comes back to ironically, you know, the skill set that I developed working in the hip hop world, you know, like I've been in a lot of situations like that with crowds and, you know, like I went to South Africa with, with Sean Combs and like we went to these townships and I was like, if if I get separated right now, like you may just never see me ever again, wow. you know, it was just, not because it was violent per se, but it was just like, I mean, just on the verge of not, not a riot in terms of being violent but just pandemonium sure. and that many people and so you know people I've been get a, trampled at target trampled. on christmas morning or yeah, whatever it exactly. is you know? and it's just like when you have a you know how often does like a celebrity of that caliber go to a township in south africa you know yeah. so people are like crazy right. and so i've been in scenarios like that you know like numerous times so i kind of know how to handle it to a degree and how you know where to be and and, and try and just like survive and get your shot really is the, the yeah. most the biggest objective this comes back to our our conversation about having a client versus being able to shoot for myself like you know those guys that are just waist deep in water with cameras and elbowing each other and they have to be the first one to get that shot like they kind of have have to get that shot that's yeah. the money shot and you know like i think i got a couple of shots of Medina or Mick or whatever in that scenario that I love for myself but they're probably not the most unique photos that I've ever taken of those guys because maybe like a slightly better or a slightly worse version but there's other versions of that photo ultimately and so you know that's why when when Medina won and came out of the water the second time I was like I'm gonna go up and shoot a wide shot because it's the it's the amount of people crowding around him that's the picture that's, that's the, the story. story that's totally. the story I don't need a tight shot of Medina there's gonna be the AP is gonna uh, the ASP and it's gonna push that you know worldwide and mm -hmm. there's 50 people that have that shot already like you know it's the pandemonium that's the story totally know? interesting um what are maybe maybe your favorite image um from this time in hawaii um or do you have a favorite image or like what is kind of the most impactful one i that think you... one of one of the most impactful um it's it'll actually be out in stab magazine in the next issue uh there's a shot that i took uh after the surfer pole awards um grant had a a a backdrop set up and was doing like proper portraits of all the winners and uh Grant so, Ellis. Yeah, Grant from, from Surfer Magazine. 
and uh, so he was taking a portrait of John John holding you know the surf of the year portrait and off to the sidelines uh, next to the backdrop Kelly was standing there like playing a ukulele and and just kind of looking forlorn and I took a wide shot of it and I mean he probably wasn't as forlorn as that one frame kind of tells the story as but it's just a I know the contrast of the two of them was like this like the greatest surfer ever standing you know literally and figuratively off to the side by himself and all of the focus is on John John and it kind of just like kind of a metaphor for you know the however you want you know taking the pebble from the hand or the prince usurping the king or whatever metaphor you want to you know play into that I think it's a really kind of interesting photo I'd love to see that photo was there anybody else around with a camera shooting that um there was you know like Todd was back there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of good people in in that world that I respect you know Todd Todd's good I don't know if Morgan was there this year but I'm a big fan of his work, work as well but um I mean that's the interesting thing about you know telling stories is that everybody's gonna tell a different one so yeah. like I'm not really that stressed I'm you know people like that's why you know Steve and I are we're are, you know tight and because we're not really like stepping on each other's toes trying to get the same shot you know we're yeah. gonna have a very different perspective and yeah. because of that we both like oh wow that's I love that shot dude or like yeah. vice versa you know um, considering you have access to all these people or have at different times, like there's actually a wide range of people, especially in this book, like from John, John and Kelly to, uh, Dick Brewer, you know, shaping a surfboard and Rory Russell and like these old time dudes. And then the heavies on the North shore. And, um, who in terms of just personality that you've got to interact with, who is kind of the most compelling figure to you? That's a good question. I mean, I definitely, I think Mick, Mick Fanning's just a great dude. He's is he? just always laughing, and he's just like, you know, he's just got that kind of like Australian optimism and charm, and likes the party, and he's just like, so he, he he's a really nice dude. Um, you know, Kelly's compelling just because of who he is, but he's a very, I don't want to say he's not a warm dude, but he's not like he's not the kind of guy that that you would just be like, oh, bro, let's hang out. You know, he's just very. I think you have to have a certain mindset to be like the best in the world like that. Um, so that was really interesting. I mean, it's it's funny getting to look back on the archive of people I've shot because on one hand it seems like a long time, but you know, seven years isn't that long. But a lot of stuff changes in that time, and you know, look at just all the people that we've lost just since the short amount of time that I've been shooting mm-hmm. this. You know, it's like I have an archive of stuff of a lot of stuff of buttons, and you know, stuff of Andy Irons, and mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, that's why I think it hopefully historically will that's what was interesting thumbing through it is like okay pro surfer or uh competitive pro surfers and then you get to the page where it's button and reno buttons and reno wearing wigs you know like doing some pose and it's like all right clearly buttons and reno aren't gonna wear a wig in front of some random dude you've clearly developed a relationship with these people as intimately as a relationship with the other guys i just like there's a huge diversity in the book you know it's interesting um i'm curious too like guys at the top of the game like p diddy and kelly what what is it about those guys how what's different about them than other people that's a great question and 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 i've been trying to figure that out too like kelly i probably don't have as much insight as to you know this is probably more of a sherm question but definitely like i spent enough time with with sean combs that i I don't know what drives that dude you know if i had 
one percent of his success or wealth like i'd, I'd be done you know like cool like you know like right. i'm gonna i got my friend i have like really great friends and really solid family and i'm gonna just go surf or do you know like i'd, I'd be i would probably just quit you know and it's not the money that drives him and i i honestly don't i think it takes a certain type of mindset to just i don't know i don't know what his goal is it's certainly not to be number one and it's not to be rich because he's been both of those things you know so, so. what does his day consist of what it, tell me more about the drive uh like how does his day look different than mine he just he never stops he just he's you know like i said everyone's got a, you know you got an opinion everyone has an opinion of the guy but like for whatever negative or positive thing you have to say about him that guy works harder than anyone else. he works harder than me works harder than i'd want to work you know what i mean is he sleeping eight hours no, he just like he never stops and he's never alone and he's never and you know and he, and I think more than anything um I think he kind of became a rapper or, or you know as an art, he became an artist kind of by accident that wasn't really his lane I mean and he was an amazing producer and still to this day produce people don't realize like he's produced a lot of stuff and still continues to but more than anything he's just like a good like executive producer he's a good team leader you know whatever it is whether it's like a clothing line or he has a tv network now or a record label and it's just like you watch him in a group of people and it's just like he definitely just has that like charisma and gravitas you're like oh yeah i'm gonna follow this dude because i feel like he knows something that i don't and i yeah. want to be a part of it you Just know a leader. And, and like i don't have that you know like sure. i'm more i'm a lo i'm not a follower i'm more of a loner you know yeah. and i i think that kind of carries through in my photographs to a degree you know just a kind of like yeah. lurking and you know kind of being an outsider and, and and allows me having a camera in front of my face allows me to withdraw a little bit you know and that's the opposite of of him you do know? you see those qualities in any surfers um definitely i mean i like i said definitely definitely kelly it takes a certain type of just singularly driven mindset mm -hmm. to be that good um and that on top of your game and and so competitive too i mean i spent uh, you know a little bit of time with kelly over the years i you know, definitely spent a lot of time with benji weatherly and mm -hmm. who, who he is very close with kelly and you know benji's probably one of the funniest people i actually like physically know i mean that i dude, love benji such a rad dude and just funny it, nobody doesn't love that dude and you know he'll he's close enough to kelly that he'll you know he, he'll talk shit and he'll tell funny stories about kelly and he's just like yeah that dude has to be the best at anything you know i remember when like an instagram started and he's like oh now you got to be the best at instagram right. you know, or golf or whatever it is he's just like he's that competitive you right know? But I think there's a there's I mean there's there might be a negative side to it too. There, like yeah. I'm 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 content. Like yeah, I'm exactly. pretty content, you know, and, and I can I can I can sit like my, my apartment in New York is just really you know, blessed to have like a great view and you know, I bought an apartment in the nineties and and uh, I have a I can look out at the Empire State Building in Midtown and I was like, I think I've lost months of my life just staring. Sure. You know, like I don't think yeah. You know, like, I'm content just, like, like, oh, God, my work's done. I'm going to stare out the window for 25 minutes, sure. you know, and just think. And I don't think that those people do that as much, you know. Tell me about um, the surf scene in New York. It's pretty it's pretty rad. I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's come online a lot in the last couple of years. So, basically, I started surfing there, like, maybe about 10 years ago. And then about eight years ago, got invited to be in on a, a share, a bungalow share that I share with three other people. And, at, um, and uh, it's like four blocks on the beach. And it's a really unique place because it's it's kind of like where the, where the ghetto meets the beach. You know, okay. it's, a, it's a really interesting place. And I mean, most of the time when you talk about gentrification, it's like one 
demographic pushing out the other demographic and it's such a kind of new surf culture and there's enough real estate out there that right now they're kind of just stacked on top of each other okay so i guess i'd characterize it as like a polite indifference you know so it's like you walk in the winter time and and you're in like in your wetsuit and and you know carrying a surfboard and, you know black dudes will walk by and be like oh that crazy white dude you know yeah. like i don't have any problem you know like everyone really seems to get along and it's sure. it's a pretty amazing place and but uh it got hit really hard during sandy and right. in, in some ways it's kind of the best thing that ever happened you know like on an individual level there's a lot of people that just lost i mean maybe not their actual lives but their their house and their mm -hmm. livelihood and you know it's horrible from an individual standpoint on a macro level it's probably one of the best things that happened because just they got so much federal money to like help okay. rebuild the, the boardwalk and i mean right. it's still not fully back up online but there's been a lot of positive changes you know? um what are the waves like they're crappy are they <laughs> well put it this way when they're good they're you know they're world class i mean you saw the quick pro you saw that final I but know. that's the outlier that's not the norm you know i mean I, we always joke that i just i really hope that a bunch of people didn't watch that contest and be like oh let's go on a surf trip exactly. to new york in august <laughs> you'll be sorely disappointed right you know and, and that's the problem you know for me personally like I have a, there's a great community out there. I know a lot of people. I have my place out there and my boards. And usually during the went during the summertime, like I have a lot of free time on my hands. And it's just like, oh, I want to go surfing, but there's literally no waves. You know, mm -hmm. not like California style where if you want to drive an hour, you could probably surf 300 days a year. Whether yeah. it's something, I mean, there's days or weeks at a time where it's just like you're a dork if you're in the water like right. there is no waves right. you know it's frustrating you know? yeah but that I mean Santa Barbara is somewhat like that probably to a lesser extent but you go long spells with no waves but still True, but some you of the can best drive, surfers in the world come out of here of course but at the same time like yeah I mean you know it's summertime in, in Santa Barbara you know get a new hobby but if you're frothing you know if you drive 35 minutes you'll catch something at sure. C Street and if you drive you know three hours you can like get something really good in San Diego right so it does that's not like that on the East Coast right you know? would tell me about what your lifestyle consists of in terms of work nowadays like um, obviously the winter you spend in Hawaii how much of the rest of the year is revolving around surfing um, very little very little I mean very uh, certainly on from a career standpoint very little I mean yeah. I usually try I'll, I'll accrue enough photos during the month of December that you know, I'll have like a good uh, archive of stuff, you know, for Instagram and keep stuff current. Like if somebody does really well in a contest, I usually like put up a photo of them. And then, you know, usually for the couple months after the month of December, you know, I'll be writing stories for the inertia or they got that stab piece that should be coming out any day now. Um, but, you know, career wise, like I'm not involved really in the surf world at all. What are you what doing out in California this trip? So uh, I'm actually out in California now. Um, well, I'm visiting my family and, and you know, taking a little break. But I was out here last weekend. Sean White had the Aaron Style contest at the Rose Bowl. So I was out there um, just shooting some portraits of him and covering the festival. Covering the festival. So, you know, that was that was, it was pretty fun. And you get to see, you know, Kendrick Lamar and like Flaming Lips. And there's a lot of a lot of good good bands. Um, so I kind of flew out and just to, sh to shoot that and how, part of how that. did that job come about i mean do you know sean or what's the connection i yeah i shot i shot sean um a couple times and, and he was in new york 
a couple months ago and like did some portraits with him and um, his girlfriend Sarah is in the band Fantagram. She's a sweetheart. They're a really, really good, good, good couple. Um, and then a good friend of mine, um, shout out to Ryan Bucci at SWE, Sean White Enterprises. Um, he, he's like one of their main creatives over there. He's a good friend of mine. So he um, asked me to just kind of shoot some lifestyle and behind the scenes stuff at the festival. So. Do you work? Do you have an agent? Um, I am. Uh, I'm courting an agent right now. Okay. Yeah, that's another reason I was in LA. Um, I'm really trying to get a good agent out in out here in California that, that kind of can bridge the two worlds of you know California and New York. Right. Because it it seems like you do because you seem to be so well connected and like the Oscars come around and you post photos with Ethan Hawke you know doing something and it's like dude you know everybody from everywhere. Like, well, not so much that much. <laughs> it appears as though. Okay, know? good. I'm glad that image is working. But yeah. no, I mean the reason I um I I just shot Ethan Hawke for for a cover uh, for Angelino magazine, and then they ran it as Manhattan magazine in New York. Um, yeah. So, but that that's once again that's kind of the probably the exception more than the rule in sure. terms of like that was an actual that was a studio sitting with like styling and lights and eye contact and you know that and I tend to not do as much of that it tends yeah. to be more kind of lifestyle stuff um you know my client base is kind of all over the place I've been shooting in different clients shooting for Land's End doing catalog stuff mm -hmm. for them they they it's kind of fun they they shoot everything out of Wisconsin surprisingly so they fly uh, you know, whole teams of hair, makeup, stylists, photographers, and models like from New York to Wisconsin. We'll wow. go there for like five days in, wow. the, in like this snowy studio. So it's kind of fun. It's like, once again, that's like summer camp too. Yeah. Cause there's nothing else to do. We stay in this small little town called Mineral Point and it's like everyone has dinner together and wow. you know, it's kind of fun. Interesting. But that's, you know, it's, that's, that's how you pay bills. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Who have you not worked with that you would love to work with either in the surf industry or outside? Ah, oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think I'd be excited to start working. I think actors are really compelling. I mean, I music-wise, I, I used to shoot a lot more musicians. And, uh, well, on one hand, the music business kind of went out of business. So yeah. that changed a lot. But, you know, on the same time, like, so... At, I got to do a tour project with Outkast and like went on tour with those guys and I got to go on tour with The Strokes and like probably one of my favorite bands you know ever and so part of me feels like you know I don't know where and and also got to document you know P Diddy at the height of you know when the music and the money and the hip hop and the bling and like that whole kind of world you know to to get to document that from the inside I just feel like I don't know where to go from there. You know, like I definitely don't want to be the go-to guy for like some new band, three guys against the wall style. You know, like I'm not as compelled by music anymore, surprisingly. Well, let me ask you kind of a similar question. Um, what stories do you think need to be told or would you like to help tell? Um, I, I would love, to, I, the one world that I've never really been involved in is, is politics. Mm. I mean, from a, from a shooting perspective, you know, I follow pretty closely and I think it's very compelling. Like I would love to, to, um, you know, get my ducks in order to do some sort of project for the next election and do, you know, like a P Diddy slash North Shore style project, but like in the political world. And I think it's, it's really fascinating, you mm. know, cause it's really, um, it melds elements of celebrity and power and personality. I mean, it's 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 pretty fascinating. So I guess that's probably the world that I've never really kind of delved into that would yeah. be really fascinating to me. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, 
so you listen to this podcast, obviously, right? And uh, you're familiar with the Duke and Kook concept. Absolutely, absolutely. I've never asked anybody to contribute to Duke and Kook before. I know. What's up with your man Scott just showing up without him sometimes? He that's invented my, it. That's my favorite part of the show. He invented it. Scott, dude. get your act together. I love you, dude, but <laughs> come on, man. I agree. He's phoning it in, dude. Yeah, right. And then, like, like Letterman just not having a top 10 list one night. And know? then when I say mine, then it, like I'll see his wheels start to turn and be like, oh, oh yeah, I know what of one. And it would like pull something from 10 minutes ago in the show and just yeah. make it. I'm like, dude, that's not acceptable. <laughs> Need to get his act together. So um, what do you got, dude? What's your kook and duke? Okay, well, I'm going to start. It's probably not, not as universal or surf oriented, but very uh, personal to me. I'm going to start with the kook. And this week's kook is Jack Frost. Like, okay. <laughs> that, that dude has overstayed his welcome in New York City. Like, it's ironic. I'm sitting here, you know, in beautiful Carpinteria, like, with the sun on my face, almost getting a sunburn, but... Um, I know, I was thinking I should have sunblock on right now, dude. Oh, my God, this winter has been crazy. I mean, it, it's really strange in a modern world where you literally can just, you know, get on this weird little plane, and I, I sleep very well on planes, so, like, I basically take a five-hour nap, and I'll go from, you know, five degrees to, yeah. you know... 72 and sunny you know it's like it's a it's a strange concept but no I'm, I'm i'm over it you know like i've been in new york for 20 years and i don't know if we broke the earth and the weather's gotten worse i yeah. don't know what it is but like you're on you're on notice mother nature like dude i've met another state i gave you the best <laughs> years of my life but i've met another state yeah. i saw a photo yesterday there's a listener of the show um his instagram handle is uh i think it's jdn photography he's in massachusetts nantucket i think and um he posted a photo i saw a photo of his yesterday of a barrel like like epic looking barrel on the northeast coast somewhere but it's like slushy yeah. it's not the water it's thick yeah. it's not fully frozen but it's certainly not water consistency it looks like a slurpee from 7-eleven but it's barreling perfectly yeah you know it's like what in the world i just i give my shout out to those guys like i have a full winter kit and like i, I did a job for matus last year shout out to them i love their suits and you know i have like a really solid like winter setup but I just, I don't know. I don't have the energy. I don't have it in me anymore. I usually try and do, like, one really fun snow surf with, like, a bunch of the boys, like, yeah. every year. But, like, unless it's really that good, like, I don't even want to go to the grocery store from my apartment anymore, let alone, like, go to Rockaway and get, it's just, I don't know. It's you know? cool that you have that winter setup that will keep you warm, but there's a five-second period where you're taking off your shirt and you have to put the wetsuit that's, on. Well, that's the irony. Like, the warmest part of cold water surfing is the actual surfing. Right, you exactly. Know? It's like, unless you're unless you just, like, getting caught inside and taking 10 on the head. But, like, basically, once you're actually in the lineup, like, it, you're pretty toasty. Yeah. But it's, as soon as you get out of the water, yeah. it's a nightmare. You know? And God forbid you're surfing, like, at 7 a.m., and then you got to take your clothes off and put your wetsuit on it then, you yeah. know? It's nah. a nightmare. Um, so what do we got for in terms of a Duke? Duke, I mean, it's a little obvious, but I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with John John Florence. We got we got um, you know snapper contest starting any day now, and I just feel like I've worked with him so much, and he he's just he's the the triple threat. You know, he's got his one of the best air games around. His barrel riding is probably one of the best on the planet. He surfs big waves. He's a great competitor. He's a really smart competitor. He's got a good head on his shoulders good family life and i just feel like he hasn't been able to kind of get all those stars to align yet but competitively competitively um even if you watch like you know the day before and after you know the pipe finals was just 
ruling you know right. and then he went down and lost to Josh Kerr with like a six or right. something you know just like something the stars haven't aligned for that dude but he he so deserves it and I, th- I think it's just a matter of time and I hope hopefully that time is you know this year what can you tell us about John John that we don't know he's just like I, I think he kind of he wears his heart on his sleeve you know he looks he's exactly like you like you think he is i don't think he has any like dark underbelly he's not fronting he's not like purporting an image he's just like a kid who like loves to surf yeah and he surfs more than anybody else on the island that's what i've heard about him he just he just loves to surf and you know i think the north shore is a, is a difficult place to grow up to try and like have like a a well-rounded you know education and sense of the world and you know for for whatever reason i, I just get the sense that he he has that you know mm-hmm. he's just got a really he's got great people in his circle you know and i don't think he's gonna like you know fall to like drugs or any no. any of that like you know temptations that a lot of the a lot of you know growing up on the island like that can can provide and he's just a really smart good kid you yeah. know like I'm, I'm 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 stoked for him i'm always just really really happy to, to get to shoot him and he's a big big fan of photography too he's got a really good eye he's right a lot of cameras so. yeah um, talking about him losing that heat against Josh Kerr, Josh Kerr, but ruling every other session on the North Shore, it calls into question the um, proficiency or efficiency of the contest format. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the alternative is. Though, I don't you know. I mean, and that's why I think surfing is special compared to you know skateboarding or even snowboarding. And you know, it's yeah. like a snowboarding, and it's like you could replicate a hit all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh, I want to like do this move I don't even I don't know my I'm, I'm flailing on my is, I'm yeah. flailing on my Misty snowboard flip. technology <laughs> my terminology I should know I was shooting Sean all last weekend but um yeah but same with skateboarding too it's like you know you like go in your backyard you go down the parking lot and you can practice that same trick 15 mm-hmm. hours in a row and like there's something just like amorphous about surfing you know there's like this there's two competitors and you're actually there's actually three competitors it's like the ocean you right. know and, and, and I guess on one hand that's what makes it special but on another hand sometimes it's you get burned you know and then same thing with kelly you know you've watched him over the last year like he's almost always been the one that wills those waves that shouldn't come and they do and then this year a couple heats like it he wasn't that guy yeah and it was surprising you know right yeah i'm not sure yeah there's a couple guys in history who people tell that story about willing the ocean uh, Tom Curran is one of them. I think Jerry Lopez is probably one of them. But they're very few. Like even the kids, like Gabriel, who have a lot of talent, they're known for making and turning a five into an eight, yeah. but not known for necessarily getting the best wave of the day. Yeah. You know. So that yeah. is a, a a magical element that I'm not sure how to define. And then you know there was that big controversy too on that the Saturday or Saturday or Sunday when they they called the contest early. And then, I mean it was it was actually pretty ironic. Like maybe. 15 minutes after they they finally pulled the plug and they weren't going to run it like i saw jamie o'brien paddle out on a pink soft top and basically make a mockery of the contest right. like just like got 10 a, point a rides ten, on that. like ridiculous i actually haven't been able to find that anywhere i mean somebody must have that footage because it was yeah it, it was right after i mean there was I cameras saw, everywhere i saw it on the webcast okay. i was watching the webcast and they they still had the camera running i'm not yeah, sure I mean, why it was, it was it was very it was like maybe two or three in the afternoon it was right after they had said no right. we're not gonna run it but i mean just to see him and he was and the irony is that you know like it was a weird year like mason ho wasn't in the contest he wasn't in the contest you know it was like yeah. there's a lot of people that you would normally think 
you know, Bruce wasn't in the contest that, you know, quote unquote, deserved to be in it or whatever that weren't. And so for him to be able to be like, all right, check this out. You yeah. know, just basically just like, it was pretty badass. You know? Officially, do you think they should have called it on? The comp? What do I know? I'm not, you know, I'm well, going to you know? you leave, do? I don't know. I'm going to leave it to know. the experts. I mean, the bottom line is, is that, um, you know, there's that big lawsuit with, with, you know, Eddie and Hawaii. Like, there's no way they couldn't, they couldn't have ran heats past 401 sure. anyway. So it's, it's really like much ado about nothing. Cause by the time it really turned on, there was maybe enough that you could have ran two, two, three heats tops. You yeah. know, it's not like you would have had a different final scenario or something. So, okay. Uh, I don't know. What do I know? I'll leave it. It was actually pretty interesting. I was sitting um, at the Volcom house just watching the waves come in and um, Liam McNamara, who I, I don't really know at all, but he just happened to sit down next to me and it was just like kind of narrating to no one in particular, just out loud, <laughs> like, oh, this one's going to come through. It's going to bend the second read. Like he just was like a like a guru, like basically doing like call, you know, play by play of these waves coming in. It was fascinating to get to like, to hear him you know like I, i'm not the one that that would have known that pipe would have turned on like that but somebody should have was he know. accurate in his assessment yeah oh 100 yeah. yeah you know i mean that guy he you know i mean that's the thing like those guys that whether it's you know the some of the best surfers over there or the gnarliest you know big wave chargers or just the guys that have been there forever like they know that it's not it's not an accident that kelly's in the right place at the right time you know it's right. like there's a lot of meteorology behind that you know? yeah like, and he, his brain obviously is super sophisticated that he can process. He doesn't have to live there to know it. He spent enough time there. He can know that, but he also knows cloud break equally well. And yeah. he knows Rincon equally well, yeah. where it's like most guys only have enough brain computing to know one spot. Yeah, yeah. I like barely know my home break that yeah. well, you know, I have my one little spot. And if the sand moves, I'm lost. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, what was the last surfboard that you rode? Have you um, surfed out here since you've been here in California? Uh, I was thinking about maybe paddling out later today. I have a I have a, a, a kit that I keep at my parents' house. I have like um my uh, my uh, my friend Dan Forte Dano shapes boards out of uh, out of like Costa Mesa. Pure glass. Pure glass, exactly. And uh, I love his shapes. I mean, if if nothing else, they're just they just look beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. the pure the guys at, at Pure Glass are amazing. I mean, I just their their color palette, if nothing else, is just is just dope. And like they a lot of times work. you see like like you know you order like oh I want a yellow surfboard and you get it back and it's like just banana yellow yeah, or something yeah. that you know and it's like you get something from them and it's like oh wow that is a rad yellow I've never that's like a seventies yellow mixed uh -huh. with like the future or what you know like mm -hmm. and so um, their shapes are just gorgeous to look at. But yeah, he just has I have like a. Just a little like six one kind of like little double under single fin that that from I keep Dano. up here from Dano, which I love. And then for um for the summertime in in Rockaway, I have like a it's like a seven six just double under single fin that's perfect all summer long. I mean I, I'm like one fifty five wet, you know I don't mm -hmm. weigh anything, so I mean that's basically a longboard for me. Yeah. It's like a super short longboard, but you know I can catch any wave that like the dudes on like nine sixes are yeah. yeah have you listened to any of dano's music i have i saw him play he does this like one man band thing, yeah you know he's a he's trip, the dano man. jukebox yeah, joint yeah, or something yeah. like that no he's a cool guy and you know that's a thing that's what i love about you know that that area and those guys from newport whether it's like the you know um scotty and turkey stopnik or any of those uh, you know like troy and like all those guys they have like a really cool aesthetic you know mm -hmm. and then like they live that lifestyle and I, you know i appreciate that a lot of people i just i'm so tired of that, that word hipster like i don't even know what the hell that means but yeah. like you know people kind of trend to use it as this blanket pejorative word for anyone that has like a sense of style you know sure but um 
you know, like I think on some hands, I think like, you know, whatever, shortboarding's kind of jockey and dorky sometimes, you know, it's like totally. I'm tired of seeing like, oh, I wear flannel, I drive a truck and I serve a 5'8 thruster, you know, it's like, that's, that's cool, but like, why are you going to cap on someone who like has a, a cool sense of style, mm-hmm. you know, and they have like a, they have like a conversion van or right. like a cool motorcycle and, you know, why, I don't know, teach their own, you know? Yeah, totally. I'm stoked on those guys. Um, where can people find you follow purchase like what do you got uh you can follow me on instagram at justin j photo j-u-s-t-i-n-j-a-y photo um apparently there's a dj named justin j okay that sometimes messes up my website okay so, so i've never don't, seen him yeah don't don't go to justin j dj um but yeah justin j photo on instagram um or you can just check me out it's at justinj.com okay um nothing really to sell at this point yeah, what about this book? What's the plans with this? That's the plan. I, th- I think um, there's a couple art directors that I'd really, uh, that I'd like to work with. Um, so I'm kind of just waiting until the time is right. You know, like I said, it's not going to be like a huge financial payday. And I have other outlets, whether it's gallery shows or Instagram, to kind of get that work out there. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not that stressed to, to get it out there. But, I mean, I'd love to work with, like, Tom Adler. I don't know if you know, he's, that was amazing. Yeah. He actually lives here in Carpentry. It's a friend of mine, like... He's got his hands full, but like, I mean, if I ever had a chance to work with him or it's a couple publishers, so I'm kind of just, I'm just laying back in a cut and like, hopefully things will, things will align at some point. You know? Awesome. Cool. So. Anything else that we should discuss that I didn't cover? No, I think, um, just, uh, if you get a chance to go to New York city, don't stay in Brooklyn, man. Go check out Rockaway. It's a there really, <laughs> it's a really cool place. I had, a actually a good friend of mine, um, the summer before the sandy disaster had printed up these t-shirts that said you know it said defend rockaway with a rifle kind of a takeoff you see those a lot in hawaii and he's actually he's he's howley but he's from he's from the big island but he lives in in rockaway his name's keone big shout out but um so he made these t-shirts and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek it was like you know defend from like williamsburg bearded dudes or that you know kind of tongue-in-cheek joke and then sandy hit and like keone was literally like on his front porch with a crossbow like defending his property like civilization kind of broke down for two or three days from looters looters and just yeah people stealing gas there's no electricity no power from them. i mean it was really it was ugly for, how quickly we forget I and mean, now that you yeah. say it it's like yeah that's right i did see that in the news it but. was really and and because rockaway's peninsula is like relatively isolated as soon as you take away a couple of the bridges um so it's just really difficult to get out there to get supplies to anybody so yeah it got it got really ugly and so um this was i guess in the fall and then that winter when i went to hawaii i brought a bunch of those t-shirts and i wanted to do a portrait project so like i got you know a lot of really big so i got everyone from from um, Michael Ho to John John to um, you know Fletcher like a lot of Grayson and Christian to like pose with these t-shirts and then unfortunately the day this is I guess two years ago the day that they were crowning um, the champion at Pipe was the day of the Sandy Hook massacre with like with an AR-15 and so the the rifle kind of really took on this this ugly political tone that I that wasn't I didn't really intend it for so I kind of sat on those photos and didn't really want them out there and then that summer I had a show in Rockaway like so I could kind of control the context and um, the community was really stoked to get to see like the support of the surfers or whatever and then um, Stab eventually ran it but you know in context because I just really didn't want it to be about the gun issue you know right so very good well thank you yeah well hopefully uh yeah appreciate some good insight and yeah big fan of the show i'm glad you finally got to look up thank you i appreciate it thank you very much
bang. How about that? That's another goal of mine with Surf Splendor is just to introduce you to things that you didn't know about. And uh, hopefully you learned something new about Justin in this interview. Or perhaps if you didn't know who Justin was, now you have a brand new world-class photographer whose work that you can enjoy. So um, thank you, Justin Jay, for taking the time to sit with me on a sunny Southern California day. It's really a pleasure uh, chatting, and hopefully we cross paths again, hopefully in New York. I can find my way out there, and we can share a session. Rock away. And thank you to all the listeners, of course, not only for tuning in, but for continually sharing this show. We see the numbers grow, and I've uh, received a lot of comments and actually received emails from new listeners saying that they've, they're glad that they found the show and that they're listening to back content and all that sort of thing. So we're grateful to have you. Um, keep spreading the good word. We're thrilled to produce the content, but you also play a role in this as well, and that is sharing the good word with your friends. All right? You can see a sampling of Justin's work on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And, of course, uh, we'll post a link to his website, which is very simply justinj.com. And then on social media, we'll be posting his work as well. So you can follow us there at Surf Splendor. All right. Thank you very much for tuning in. Until next week, where we'll be posting a new episode of Surf News with Scott Bass. This is your host, David Scales, reminding you, no matter how busy you get, just go catch a couple waves. It's always worth it. All right? Shred on. Oh, and thank you for the cup of coffee, Justin. I forgot to mention that at the time. Thanks. Say I will try my best.